This podcast is sponsored by eBay Canada. eBay Canada has been supporting Canadian small business retailers for 25 years. With their up-and-running program, you can access eBay's 180-plus million buyers in 190 countries around the world. With up-and-running, there are no listing fees on up to 200 listings per month, and you only pay fees when you sell. As part of the eBay community, you get real-time advice and inspiration and access to powerful selling tools and insights. Go to ebay.ca forward slash up and running, stay local and sell global. Welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. Hi, this is Angela Fay from Canada's podcast, welcoming Mark Daniel from Next Work on today's episode. I'm super excited uh, to welcome Mark, who is in Vancouver right now, but you're moving, Mark. Where are you moving between? We're moving to Lions Bay, uh, beautiful Lions Bay. As um, I've always said that let's kind of put off the suburban uh, move as, as long as possible, but we finally had to had to do it. We're in an apartment at the moment in Lonsdale, but uh, yeah, we're, we're mid-move, we're mid so it's a bit, a bit hectic at the moment, uh, and, and especially in the middle of COVID as well. It's, uh, it's been an interesting experience. Well, and what was the trigger to finally go into, uh, into more regional accommodation? Yeah, especially where there are countless bears as well. I've heard in Lions Bay, there's, there's, there's a, there's a Facebook group with, uh, every single day, there's some sort of bear spotter who's, who's putting up, you know, uh, exactly the location of these bears. And, and so we've heard some, uh, a few horror stories, but, uh, we're looking for a little bit more space, a little bit more green space, outdoor, uh, a yard, um, for the little one to play around in. And, uh, yeah, just be a little bit, further away from uh, all the people, I guess. Metropolis. And yes, your little one's just we, is that right? Yeah, two, two years old, keeps us on our yeah. toes. And um, she needs needs more of a, a backyard to run around in. And uh, yeah, so we're pretty excited. Okay. It's um, we, we moved from London um, about four years ago. So we've only, we actually haven't owned a backyard in... 10 years and so for the for <laughs> this is actually pretty exciting for us to get some green space especially in canada it's so beautiful here just being a little bit more outside um and there's great views up in nine space so we are we're, we're pretty excited mark i'm curious what brought you from the uk to canada i don't know if i should, i can say brexit but uh <laughs> <laughs> That was uh, coincidentally uh, this, around the same time. So we moved to the back end of 2016 and we moved over here for my wife's uh, work. She heads up the sustainability department at Aritzia. So uh, that was a, a great opportunity for us to move over here. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's um, we're right now, given everything that's going on in the world, we're pretty, uh, we feel pretty lucky to be in Canada and have this as our adopted, adopted country. Well, and I'm pretty proud to uh, that we've adopted you. So welcome to Canada and BC. I want to really kind of build a little bit now, get a sense of your entrepreneurial journey. So what has led, what's your career path that's led you to uh, this interview with, with Next Work? Sure. So the entrepreneurial journey has only been uh, around, I would say, for about a year. Um, so tra- traditional kind of career path, I spent I studied psychology. I went into business psychology, just being fascinated with organizations and, and people and, and how they work and how they tick. 
and, and how to get the most out of people. So I've spent my career in the talent space. Um, I've worked for a number of different consulting companies, big consulting firms. So I'm, I'm a trained IO psychologist, I guess you guys call it over here. Um, and so that's been my kind of expertise and my background. And then around, uh, I'd say about a year ago, I've, I wouldn't say I've always had um, an itch to scratch with, with trying something else, but I, I think uh, recently it's, it's, it's been something that more and more people are looking at doing. And instead of taking that linear career track, it's saying, well, actually there are mo there's more things out there to try. And uh, I think people are taking a little bit more risks, especially with COVID uh, at the moment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's either forcing people or opening up opportunities for people to explore a more entrepreneurial or risk riskier route for them right. um which in many ways is is it's obviously not a great situation for a lot of people but i do think there are uh, uh, i like to see the positives in a lot of things and so i think there are a lot of opportunities for people to to do things and try things out that they perhaps otherwise wouldn't have if, if the opportunity wasn't there and we weren't in the context that we're in just in my own entrepreneurial route, I never, I still don't think of myself as an entrepreneur at all. It seems a little bit weird to say that, but I first came up with this idea for, for next work about a year ago, a year and a half ago. I'm certainly not the first person to focus in on the experienced population, so older workers. But with my parents retiring, my parents are both kind of knowledge workers. And my mom's an accountant, and my dad's a, an office manager. And they both were approaching the traditional retirement age and wanting to continue working. They loved, loved what they, they did. They were great at it. Um, they were great, um, great value for their organizations to, to keep on. And they wanted to continue working, but on a flexible basis. I think that speaks to a lot of people out there, um, globally who want to continue working, want to continue having an impact, having, uh, adding value, feeling connected to people. And it's simply the way that we're set up at the moment um, with uh, fixed retirement, that, that concept of retirement uh, is kind of dying away at the moment. And so what I wanted to do is create a service or a solution to say, hang on a sec, we've got all this talent that is leaving the talent pool. We've got these companies that are saying they have a huge skill shortage. We have an aging population. People are working and living longer. They're healthier. There's a ton of research to suggest that people actually benefit and live longer if they continue working, and especially if they work, if they continue working in something they're passionate about and they enjoy. So you've got all these kind of trends. And for me, it was, uh, I didn't really have a light bulb moment, more that something needs to be done and no one seems to be doing anything about it at the moment. And so I set up, I looked to set up next work as a, as a solution to that, the underemployment and unemployment of older workers. And to connect them with companies that need that experience talent, but in a in a very kind of on-demand um, kind of way. I am completely intrigued by the number of companies that I have seen pop up that are that are on-demand talent platforms. Mm, mm. Whether it's you know specialized you know lawyers on demand with CEO Law, who was another interviewee with us. Um, the, uh, and another group that we did who are sales professionals niche, and you yeah. have niched out in the mature professionals side yeah. of things. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's lots of them. I, I'm, I, uh, and I'm with you, my, my parents are retiring and my, 
once a week, I go into my mom's place and she's brainstorming on what business she could set up or what, you know, yeah. and she's 76 and still yeah. has a huge amount of energy and, and passion for work and being connected in the community. So I, I'm living and breathing it myself too. Yeah, exactly. What would be your response to the perception that perhaps this mature audience, right, or this mature talent pool um, is disconnected when it comes to, you know, the, what's changed or the technology that is required from, from companies now? How, what's, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I, so, so first, on your point around the proliferation of these talent platforms, I do think that is the future. And I do think this concept of open talent is going to be, uh, people need to expect that that's going to be much more available. Um, and simply, I mean, with COVID happening, it's, it's, it makes talent much more accessible. It's more cost-effective for organizations. And with the pace of change so rapid at the moment, and it's probably been accelerated with COVID, the companies are ha having to digitally transform and not understanding what skills they need at the moment, let alone what skills they need in six, 12 months, because no one really has an idea what, what the world's going to look like in 2021, because no one had an idea what the world would look like <laughs> in 2020, at least I didn't. And uh, having having access to on-demand expertise is is there there is simply a win-win for organizations and for people. Now I I don't know who who said this or who was the original author of this, but um, I remember coming across a quote that said that our grandparents had one career for life, one job for life. Uh, we will have um, six six or seven jobs for, um, over our lifetime or careers. And our children or the next generation will have kind of six or seven jobs at the same time. So that just gives you a, a little bit of an understanding in terms of um, mm -hmm. what the future is going to look like, which is why these talent platforms have just been popping up. And, and I expect more and more to, to continue to do that as it becomes easier for people to kind of access that talent. On your, on your point on experienced workers, what, we, what we're saying is we're not saying that Experienced workers are the solution to everyone's problems and they can they can be used to tackle every single business issue. What we're saying is there is a ton of research to suggest that multi-generational workforces, diverse and inclusive workforces, are much more creative, are much more productive. Companies that that really live and breathe that that diversity, and it's age diversity, racial diversity, religious diversity, you name it. Um, that there's more and more, as our society becomes more and more diverse, then you have to have a company and decision makers that reflect that customer base. And, and therefore, we're, what we're saying is, look, as we become older as a society, your consumers are older. There's huge economic purchasing power with, with the 50 plus population. And you are going to need to have older workers and age diversity to be an effective organization um, in the future and, and to reflect your customers uh, mm -hmm. and to reflect your stakeholders as well. So you need decision, you need diverse decision makers to be to operate in, in the future. So yes, skills become the skill half-life is getting getting shorter and shorter. Um, but we absolutely see a, a, a value for companies to have uh, experienced workers as part of a, a, a diverse, a diverse workforce. Mark, what about, just because I want to tap into your expertise working in the big enterprise companies, 
and consulting with them or working within them, is there a roadblock or is there a, a perception that we need to overcome in order to get companies to adopt this idea faster as yes. far as how on-demand talent fits within their organizational structure? Great question. Um, I think those are two big two big barriers. And one you've touched on is the the kind of the direction of travel for the future of work, which is you've heard a lot about the gig economy and it's, it has some negative connotations. And uh, but but really what it is, is that more and more people are projected to replace full time employees. I think one statistic coming out of one of the big consulting firms said that by 2025 and in, in just over four years time, there will be more more kind of freelance independent contractors in the workplace and full-time employees. So essentially full-time employees will reach a critical mass where full-time employees are, are the minority. So it just goes to show that um, as this blended workforce, hybrid workforce, kind of freelancer, vetted talent force, whatever you want to call it, having, an, having a pool of talent that's been vetted that you can tap into uh, on-demand is a very attractive proposition for organizations. And I, and I think more and more organizations are adopting it. Now, some have their own talent pools. Some industries are much better at using freelance talent. So tech are a, a big, big consumer of freelance talent. So I think that's a, that's a barrier, but it's like anything. People have perceptions and perpetuate myths. And I think there are some kind of process issues with, with, incorporating that as, as, as an organization. So I think those will just die away. As we've seen with COVID impacting organizations overnight, companies will have to just um, get on board with the program and, and, and because it will be the only way that talent will be sourced in, in the future. The other issue which you mentioned is around experienced workers. Unfortunately, ageism is still, is still an ism and <laughs> it's, it's one of the isms that um, I think will become more prominent. Now, if you look to an organization's diversity and inclusion strategy, obviously with the Black Lives Matter movement, racism is, is a huge um, and gender diversity is, 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 is at the forefront of most strategies. I think ageism isn't as prevalent as it should be in their strategies, and it definitely will be going forward as, as people get older and, and, and live longer. So that's, I think there are two barriers. One is on the future of work and embracing it. Mm -hmm. And the other barrier is around um, the, the value add that experienced talent can bring to your organization. And that's where our vision of retiring retirement comes from. So what, if we were to wave a magic wand and, and create the future, or at least create like, the pathway uh, for the future, right? I, I'm yeah. sort of imagining ageism is the, perceived roadblock I'm not going to say or it's just the perception that we need to mm. to accelerate mm -hmm. uh, and we can either make like the 10% improvement on this or we can go boom what's the what's the 10 times impact if we were to just recreate that concept what what's your thoughts on what it could be There's, well, I, I'll keep it to uh, I'll keep it to just to, just to what we're talking about and not, not what's happening elsewhere. Yeah, that's um, a red wine craft beer discussion. Yeah, exactly. I would say that all talent had the had the opportunity and access to work opportunities, regardless of age, race, gender, and and we're basically saying an equal and, and fair kind of society, but. 
in the future, I don't think it's going to be a lot. It's, it's, it's not going to be, a, it's, it's going to be a necessity to have older talent on your books because right. the portion of the working population is shrinking as people get older and they're not being replaced fast enough by, by, by younger workers. And so it's, 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 it's an inevitability, but in, in, in an ideal world, companies would have unmitigated open access to all of that talent that has been forced out of the labor pool uh, or, or voluntarily has left the labor pool, but wants to continue working on a part-time basis. Mm-hmm. Companies, mm-hmm. companies worldwide could, could just tap into that talent. And it's, it's great for organizations and it's great for people as well. So it's a win-win situation. And yeah. Lynn, I'm going to pull up on your comment because you already said it earlier. So I'm just going to bring it up and ingest it into this part of the conversation, which is uh, there's longevity there, right? That people will live longer when they're more active and engaged in the community and they want to work. Retirement was a construct of the future when, or of the, of the past and our age of retirement was based on a, on a lifespan that was, that has changed so dramatically. I'm sort yeah. of imagining, you know, ageism to be replaced by, I don't know if it's going to flow properly, but wisdomism is that the thing? Yeah. <laughs> you can create yeah. that as a thing, like something like the, you know, they're, they're wise. They have that history that they can bring in as sort of that solid foundation, that essence of being a rock um, exactly. when the younger generation, you know, like you said, is so accustomed to the pace of change happening so rapidly. Um, and that yeah. there's a, they almost, they're almost like a, a necessary pause, like a, a stop and think and strategize before we race ahead. That's kind of how I imagine that mature population could add value as well as the actual hard skills. Yeah, and I mean, there's, uh, you, you bring up a good point about the, the concept of, of retirement. I think, I think that's something that's going away. More and more people are choosing to work, whether it's uh, as part of the gig economy or um, setting up their own business. Uh, there's a statistic somewhere around some of the best entrepreneurs or, or more over 40 entrepreneurs than, than under 40. Um, so, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity in, in that ideal world situation. I think retirement will have gone away. And so this, this whole concept of retirement, which you, which as you mentioned was developed in the 19th century in 1800, 1860 something, the German chancellor or the chancellor of Prussia came up with this concept of, of, it's a little bit cheeky because the life expectancy was 65 at the time and he set the the cutoff at 65 so not expecting people to actually be around to benefit from the from the program but you fast forward 140 years and we're still saying to people especially when knowledge work is so prevalent at the moment and it's growing with the digital revolution it's saying this is not uh this is not relevant anymore it's you know people don't why are, we, why are we saying to people, you have to leave a talent pool at 65 years old? People can continue contributing their entire lives. And what I want to see is a lifelong contribution if people choose to, so that we're actually salvaging talent um, in a sustainable way. So longevity is a, a great word to use, and, and that's what I would um, look to do by connecting on-demand work and talent. You're, you're helping longevity, the longevity cycle, right? This podcast is sponsored by eBay Canada. eBay Canada is powering Canadian small businesses. Go to ebay.ca forward slash up and running to open your new global e-commerce business. 
Now I want to touch on a word you use about relevancy. Um, let's just touch on the concept of, you know, your, the on-demand talent platforms. And I just want to talk about the systems behind next for, for a second, but next, what about the relevancy of the HR profession? How do you see it being remaining relevant? Do you see, you know, um, maybe a, a central coordinator that has like a Salesforce CEO law, you know, the, the HR departments become really just somebody brokering contacts with Nextwork or, mm. or some of the other platforms? Mm. Where do you see it in, in the future? It's a really good question. I think we could probably spend uh, a good a good half an hour on the, the future of HR. HR is at a critical juncture, I think, in terms of relevance and impact. And what we've seen over the last decade or so is, is HR really moved from more of a policy shop to a strategic influencer. The, having a seat at the table and having strategic influence and, and companies recognizing, you know, you're, you're familiar with the the... Lots of companies saying our most important asset is our people, right? And and lots of companies say that, but they don't actually mean it and live and live and breathe it. But we've seen HR become much more of a strategic business partner and having a seat at the table. And we've seen that for a lot of functions, like sustainability, for example. It's critical to how companies are run. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having a seat at the table is really important. I think I think at the moment, HR have to be really bold. I think there are so many issues with, with mental health at the moment. And so mm. looking after and shaping the employee experience, one thing that we've seen is, you know, with, with, with the tech companies um, shining a spotlight on employee, uh, sorry, customer experience and user experience, we're seeing HR much more go into the direction of actually what's the employee experience. And so I think I think with the future of work, with um, more and more contractors, HR's job is going to become even more difficult because you're not you're not managing a, a fixed workforce. You're managing a fluid, hybrid workforce. Some people are in the office. Some people will be at home. Some people will be working on a laptop in a park bench somewhere. It's being able to reach people as well. I mean, the whole concept of leadership becomes more difficult when you. Um, especially as you abruptly change from managing a central workforce to managing a disparate workforce, a dispersed yeah. workforce, and so I think I think HR's role is, is is has become a lot more complex overnight. And and just picking up on your point around how do you manage that? Um, how do you manage that that workforce? I think a lot of it's going to be um, cutting through red tape and enabling change. And I think HR is at a, a really important point in in terms of what's going on in the world and reflecting the need and the crying out for more uh, equality and justice. HR is probably one of the best uh, placed functions and partners to enact change around that. People ask me kind of who, who are your main clients, who are you reaching out to? And I, I, we do reach out to human resource functions and people functions as well as executives as well, because HR can be their own worst enemy and, um, <laughs> espousing change and saying, you know, we need, we need more diverse talent, but then you go to them and say, Hey, look, I've got a, a bunch of, you know, people with tons and tons of experience that can literally come in and do the job. Don't need any training. I've done it um, a million times. Don't need any training, um, really cost effective. And, and there's, you know, still that kind of um, that barrier to, uh, you know, well, we haven't done it before. So, so I, I think, I think, yeah, it's an interesting time for HR and, um, 
certainly lots of, lots of uh, change ahead, yeah. Are there any particular trends of either sectors or size of company or, or any particular consistencies on who is, you know, uptaking with NextWork quickly? Who are the early adopters for you? So we're, we're focusing on startups and small SMEs, um, okay. basically. Uh, we're starting across North America, um, but we are focusing on Western Canada and Canada at the moment. Um, although we see, we, I mean, this is a global platform. There's no reason why uh, we, we can't expand to the UK, Japan, for example. There's a huge aging population um, in Japan. And, and other kind of more developed nations with with the same sorts of issues around experienced talent. So, so in terms of industries, I, there are some industries that are a little bit more traditional versus progressive. Tech gets a bad rep for uh, quite overlooking experienced talent. Okay, that's a that's a, a way of putting it. Um, and, and so, I, but I think I think there are different industries that are different levels of maturity, and so you have like um, financial services, which is going through a lot of change at the moment, um, and becoming more digitally focused. Uh, and so what we're doing is we're focusing on the, the startups and the SMEs because that's where on-demand talent is is most um, most important and and most accessible at the moment. Mm -hmm. Just picking up on an earlier you comment. You said when there are more sort of startups and SMEs in the aging population, even are you right in the fourth yes. class? There's there's a big group. I, I'm just curious, like on your, you know, on your or your Indeed or your digital ads, or as you're finding companies to use your services, are you going after that market? Sort of the startups, SMEs in the 35, 40 plus age demographic. We're not, but I, I think it's. Um... It's it's a, it's a good point in that there are there are more and more uh, 45 plus 40 plus entrepreneurs who have always wanted to start their own business and are really successful at it because they have all that experience under their belt. Mm -hmm. And so and, and I think I think going out to those organizations will be beneficial because they understand they get it right. I think there's something that the AARP, the um, a, a retired persons, the Association of Retired Persons in, in the US said that. I can't remember the statistic, but the majority of people over the age of 40 or 45 have experienced some level of ageism. And so it happens as, as, as early as, as 40 years old. And so I, I think with, with that um, kind of demographic, there would definitely be um, more recognition of, of that and, and probably more um, openness to embracing that kind of that, that talent group for sure. What kind of volume of talent are you working with right now? Do we have five accountants in your portfolio or 50 or what kind of numbers? Yeah, so we've um, obviously COVID, so just to give you a little bit of an idea, we started six months ago, platform development <laughs> took on uh, on COVID, COVID day, if that was mid-March or whenever the, the big Sorry, lockdown I'm not was. laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because it's quite sad. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, but, but it has presented a lot of opportunity, actually. Um, there is, unfortunately, there is a lot of people that have been let go and followed. And this is, a um, if you look on the positive side, there's a, a lot of supply of talent um, who are absolutely open to, I mean, everyone we've reached out to has, has been really, really um, supportive and encouraging around uh, the, the, the model, the concept, what we're trying to do. So people, mm -hmm. people definitely buy into 
the business and the, the branding and, and what we're trying to do. We have um, just over 100 consultants at the moment, independent professionals across Canada and the US. Yep. Um, and that's been steadily growing over the last couple of months. And um, that's spread up, spread across finance and accounting, admin support, human resources, and business consulting as well. The only reason why we're, we're starting in to develop the, the different verticals is just purely because we don't want to be a, a mass market with quite thin talent. We want to really, um, build up the accountants, build up the CFO. So yep. I don't know how many accountants we've got off the top of my head, but we have a good number of accountants. We have a lot of CFOs, CEOs, uh, bookkeepers, chief people officers, um, people that have helped, helped, um, multinational organizations through huge transformation efforts to, you know, um, ex-CEO of one of the biggest corporations in Canada. And so there's a real breadth of talent. And what we're trying to do is, is build the depth as well in each of those verticals. Right. There's no reason why we can't have, uh, we're going to open up into marketing and IT soon. And we have a couple of, um, professionals on the books. But we, that's something that we just, once we get to a critical mass, we'll then open that up um, a little bit more broadly. Another thing, um, just if I can touch on what we're looking to do kind of over the next kind of six, six months is this concept of alumni talent. Um, so these are people that have basically worked in an organization and have left the organization for whatever reason, typically retirement. And what we want to do is go to organizations and say, look, um, share with us the, the people that are retiring. And so we can get them onto the platform and then you can, you can, you can essentially have your own vetted, proven on demand talent pool who can come back and consult with you and fill in any skill gaps you need. They don't need any training. They can come in and, um, have a huge impact. They can mentor. They can, um, take on special projects throughout the organization. So helping companies build their own kind of alumni talent pools. And also they can benefit from peer or competitor talent pools as well. So if you think about Procter & Gamble and Unilever, for example, being able to access those those retired talent pools and then uh, tap into them on demand and so that people are able to contribute over, over a lifetime and, and we get to keep the talent pool, um, get that talent in the talent pool. How are you positioning yourself with companies themselves? Is it through traditional advertising? I, I mean, obviously a little bit of storytelling like this. Um, but is there any other ways that you're trying to reach out and, and penetrate in, into communities? Yeah, so uh, it's a little bit of um, a little bit of everything: social media, cold calling, outreach programs um, through our own network as well. So I, I built up a pretty good network just from working in, in consulting um, for a while, uh, and also just reaching out through through LinkedIn and, and other kind of platforms to. If companies are hiring, you know, look this way as well. So it's, 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 it's almost saying, look, you need a bookkeeper. We have 20 bookkeepers dotted around Canada right. or the US. And because we're fully digital, our, our, our fee that we charge, uh, is, is significantly lower than, than mm -hmm. what, what would be charged by a traditional, uh, temp agency or, or other agency that, that's trying to connect talent to organizations. So. Really, it's, um, it's, there are a lot of positives and, and quick wins for organizations. And so we, we're just using, um, like you say, storytelling and replaying that message through a number of different channels. Well, and I'm always fascinated by the, the basic business model of, of companies. It's something that I just find completely intriguing. 
So just can you give us a snapshot of how you work? Uh, as far as do you take a percentage? Do you sure. charge a, a membership fee? What's your yeah. what's your revenue source? Yeah, so the, the best way to explain it is Airbnb, which I'm, I'm pretty, okay. most people are familiar with. Uh, instead of connecting hosts and travelers, we're connecting talent and businesses. And so what we do is we provide the consultant fees directly to them and we add a, a set percentage on, on top of that okay. uh, the, the, the client pays. So we, we originally had 15% service, call it a service fee. It's, it's fixed, it's transparent. We add that. So if you were, if you, we connected you with an organization and you, you were paid a hundred dollars, the client would pay $115 and the hundred dollars would go to you as a, as a freelancer. And, and recently we've actually reduced that by 50% as part of COVID-19 and the impact wow. and to help, to help companies and, and experienced talent connect a little bit more easier. Okay. We've uh, reduced that to 7.5%. So for an organization coming on tapping into a CFO and you're paying 7.5%, that's um, a significant cost saving. And if you think about the process of going through temp agencies and, and other types of agencies, you can have someone within within 24 hours of coming onto the platform and, and finding someone. So, and you can message them directly and negotiate with them directly. Uh, people can pay either a fixed price. So I could say to you, you know, can you do this for a thousand dollars? And then you could say I could do it for nine hundred or eleven hundred. Okay. Or, or you can pay an hourly an hourly rate. So your hourly rate is posted on your profile. And so if you're hiring a CFO, you could say, look, I need you for two months. Can you just fill out these timesheets? And you can send that directly to the client. They can review it, approve it, and pay you all through the platform. So the the the, the payment, it's for, all of it's fully digital: invoicing, contracting, messaging. Okay sharing files it's all online and that enables us to offer a much um a much more cost effective service fee than than others and your system behind the scenes helps administer all of those steps that you just referred to right the the payment the yeah exactly yeah exactly so i said that we've been operational for six months but we've actually been the platform development took about nine months sure uh of, and it's all custom built. So it's all, it's all tailored. Um, clients can come on. We, we either recommend talent if we, um, so they fill in a few questions. These are the skills we're looking for. We need someone within two months. We need an executive level position. Um, and we need them to start immediately. And yes, they can work remotely. We will then say, well, look, here's five people that we've got on our books that you can, you can speak to and engage straight away. And we can do that within a day or two of turning around. Um, or you can actually search a talent database yourself. If you want to right. search and see what's out there, you can actually actually do that yourself. So what we want to do is just make it more accessible uh, and more transparent and more open um, for organizations. And as I said before, as we, as we move into creating these alumni talent pools for organizations, they'll be able to go in and, and just see their, their own organization's talent ah. pool and, and others should they wish to. Well, and that's something that was that kind of addresses a, a question for me, which was um, that we that you and I talked about earlier about the fear of the attrition, right? So, once somebody is connected to a company, why would they continue using Nextwork, right? What, what what's the value proposition of staying with you? And the alumni is one, right? I mean, that's a fantastic response to that. Are there any other key yeah. value propositions that address the potential for attrition? So typically talent platforms or digital talent platforms will 
in their terms and conditions, they'll have something in there which says there's a there's a fee to, to, to pay. Usually it's something, it's an absolute figure or it could be relative and it's typically the same as their service fee and you pay it up to, you know, what you pay that person in a, in a, in a year's um, kind of compensation. There's that mechanism to say, look, it's not in your best interest to circumvent the platform. But I, I mean, those are, those are really enforceable. What, what, what I like to think uh, is that you're creating enough of a value proposition through the brand through the um, the social purpose, through the community aspect of it. And, and that's something that a lot of platforms are addressing now, which is creating a community yeah. around Nextwork. So we've got a lot of talent that are all at similar life stages. They probably know similar people. They may have even worked at the same organization. So creating much more stickiness around um, on the talent right. side and building that community. And then it's not in their interest to circumvent the platform because they're really... I'm not sure what the saying is, but uh, they're kind of destroying their own home if they did that. So that's what we want to. That's what we want to be and create a little bit more um, kind of value and stickiness around around the brand and the community and what we're trying to build here. When I love, I, I mean, I know that's part of the thing is that, you know behind you is keep doing what you love on your own terms, right? As you're yes. kind of yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I think is fantastic. I know. Um, uh, I'm probably going to be in your alumni at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. I mean, speaking about ageism, it's, I mean, it's, it's age is the only ism where all of us are going to be, if we live long, uh, healthy lives, we're all going to be older at some point. So um, it's all, it's the only ism that all of us are impacted by. Uh, we've already talked about, you know, kind of living and, and, um, here in BC and why why you came, but uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share as far as Canada as a destination or BC or even Vancouver as a as a destination for doing work and what opportunities there are or challenges that you see in the work that you do? I can't speak highly enough of Canada. As I said, I'm very grateful for being adopted by this lovely country and I'm actually going to be a citizen or potentially if I pass the test in uh, a couple of months, hopefully. From a work perspective, there's a really vibrant startup community here. I think the tech industry is is really flourishing and blossoming, and so I th I think it's a um, it's a really good destination for um, and and also from a long term perspective, I think it's a very attractive destination for talent. Mm -hmm. And I, I I mean people like myself uh, coming from the UK, but just knowing the people that we know here have, have all come from other countries, um, other industries, and uh, you know, end up loving it here because of what it what it can offer. Uh, you know, like most places, it's it's not there's, there's no one place that's absolutely perfect. But um, I think it ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of people, and I think it's going to become even even more popular once um, the kind of hopefully the COVID pandemic uh, unfolds. Are there any mentors or professional associations or uh, mediums that are a, a big influence of you that? for you that you can recommend to others? Startup Vancouver, the startup network for, for entrepreneurs. I think, I think the, the biggest thing I could advise uh, other entrepreneurs out there is to, to build a network around yourself and, and build a network of, of smart people and build a network of connected people and reach out. And um, because I, I feel like everyone is in this together and there's a real sense of camaraderie around around being an entrepreneur. And as I think with COVID especially, more and more people have, 
like I said earlier, been forced to become entrepreneurs. And so now's really the time to rally around each other and support each other. And I think these networks like Startup Vancouver can really help. So no one's alone in this. And um, I'd really encourage everyone to, to reach out to those networks and just attend. Or even, I don't, I don't know if they're even holding uh, physical uh, meetups anymore. So it's so much easier on, on digital, right? And they have digital Absolutely. Friday happy hours. So depending on your drink persuasion, you can you can just join those and... Um, they're pretty inclusive, so I'd, I'd really recommend people join those uh, those networks, which are even more accessible now that um, people are doing virtual Zooming. Well, and it's lovely to have you in our network here at Canada's podcast, and I look forward to hopefully meeting you in person. Let me know if you're ever coming over to Vancouver Island, up, oh, by the way. We'll have to Thank drop you. in. We'll have to have um, a happy hour on, on my back deck. That would be fabulous. Absolutely, and I think, I think we're actually... Um, facing each other from Lions Bay or, or right. kind of looking looking towards each other. Light yeah. Morse code. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to meet you and uh, thanks so much for your time and having me on the on the show. It's been great. Well, I'm going to leave with a last sort of Angie vision for uh, next work is to be, you know, definitely Canada's number one platform for mature talent brokering. Um, Absolutely. You know, within five years. So all the power, just conjuring that up for you. I like it. I like it. Um, right. there's one, one, one last thing to say is that we do, um, just to kind of encourage networking, we, we actually have something on the platform where people can refer their, their friends and, and clients as well. And we actually give them back 1% of the, the project fees to say thank you for, for growing the community. So, um, yeah. Well, and I, I mean, I guess I almost failed, but I'll say now, how, what's the best way to get a hold of you post-podcast, Mark? Yeah, so uh, drop me an email at mark at nextwork.com. So that's M-A-R-C at nextwork with an X and an E-D on the end, dot com. Or LinkedIn, that's probably the best way. And please do reach out and I'd love to connect. And I've got a lot of time to to speak to other people on, on, the, on the journey as well. Thanks, Mark. Cheers. This podcast is sponsored by eBay Canada. eBay Canada is here to help. They've been supporting Canadian small business retailers for 25 years, and their up-and-running program is getting Canadian businesses online today. Visit ebay.ca forward slash up-and-running. Stay local and sell global with eBay.